0: Thank you for tuning in to the Soul Purpose Podcast with Coach Brian Thomas. I'm so glad you decided to join me on the journey of life, liberty, and a pursuit of purpose. Let's get started. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Soul Purpose Podcast. This wonderful time I have here, I'm gonna make sure I say the name right. Um, She's probably gonna not keep a straight face because she emphasized before, but if I mess it up, um, This part, I ain't going to edit out. So, Brachette Minister, Did I say it right this time? Did I overemphasize? <laughs> Let's make sure I got that together.
1: It was a good overemphasize. Okay, perfect. Good over-emphasize. Um, <laughs> she
0: is here with me this afternoon. She has some wonderful things going on. Now, what was impressed upon me about her was her financial, um, information. She is a financial guru. And let me tell you something about finances It's something that you will always be able to take and live with and be able to just take to a whole lot of levels. So my friend, um, it's been a long time coming. I've been meaning to do this, but, uh, you were one of the individuals that I thought about, uh, in the previous season, and then we connected and then boom, here we are now. So introduce the people to who you are, tell them a little bit about what you do. And then I've got, you know, a few questions, a little conversation, and then we're going to let you go to Mary Wake. Let me tell y'all something. This one is busy. Uh, she, uh, in her former life was, uh, one of the dancers for one of my favorite all time teams. Now, I wasn't always a Golden State Warriors fan um, until they had that little run. And now, you know, I play 2K and first team I look at is the Warriors. So um, (laughs) she'll tell us a little bit briefly about that. But we want to know about what she's currently doing. So introduce yourself, let everybody know who you are, and then we'll get started with a couple of questions that we got for you today.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for us to have this conversation. You know, I always look at yourself and I'm like, okay, I'm ready for us to chat. <laughs> right. So I'm glad we're here. But um, I'm a California girl at heart, born and raised in California, went to school and college in San Francisco. Um, I've been a creative all for always. Um, I didn't always know how to use my voice. And so how I expressed my emotions, my thoughts, my feelings, I did that through writing and through dance. So I actually studied English in college, and I also danced my entire life. So um, with my professional dance career, I have actually uh, danced for the Oakland Raiders, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Golden State Warriors, Um, all my favorite teams. I love them all. Everybody always asks me, who's your favorite? I'm like, they were all great in their own way. And so I feel like I was blessed to have that opportunity to be able to live my dream um, in that arena. And then also with writing, I just always love to write. I always love to tell stories and share my experience. So whenever I went through something, I always wanted to be able to use what I went through to help turn back around and help somebody else. So I ended up writing three books, two of them centered around the loss that I experienced from losing my father, it's called Good Grief. And it just really took a practical guide to navigating loss. And then I also read about, um, I actually ended up tearing my ACL while I was cheering for the Warriors. Uh, went through ACL reconstructive surgery, had to learn to walk again. And I really just recounted that experience. And it's for somebody who just maybe never had an injury and wanted to figure out, like, what do I do? How do I do it? And so I wrote a book on that. And then I've also done a lot of blogging and different things. And so I've always been in a creative space. Um, but then I really got very interested in finance. Um, so my mom actually was a stay-at-home mom. She took care of the family. She home-cooked meals every night, PTA president, uh, drove us around all of our activities. Like She was busy, like full-time mom, full-time job. <laughs> and then my dad worked and supported the family financially. Well, when I was in college, he actually got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and he couldn't work anymore. And And so I kind of saw that process of what it looks like when you have a family that's set up seemingly the way that, you know, a traditional American family is set up where you have a breadwinner, you have someone that takes care of the family and you're supposed to be able to sail off in the sunset, retire together, live life. And it's great. Well, that's not what happened to my family. And as I saw the things that my parents put into place, life insurance, um preparing, you know your um health directive and just getting everything in order just in case something happens when my dad passed away um, my mom was not in a mindset to be able to just take care of all these things but she was able to hand over a stack of things to somebody who was a close friend to help her just work through all that get his affairs taken care of she was able to write a check for the service you know just it was those things that i saw like how important it is to make sure you have your affairs in order because We just know that two things are going to happen in life. We're going to either live too long or die too soon. And we have to prepare for the in-between. My dad was not even 55. He shouldn't have got cancer. He never drank, never smoked, never did drugs. He did all the right things, but he still died. And so I just realized that specifically as a woman, as a woman who was raised to see a man take care of a household and have a desire to want to take care of a family and not necessarily be the breadwinner of a home, um, depending on how my future looks like, You know, I realized the importance of still knowing how to manage your finances, how to have those conversations about finances, how to just do what you need to do financially so that no matter if you have a partner, if you don't have a partner, you're okay. Um, And that's kind of where my passion came for that. And really just leaning into helping women understand that we have a role there and we really need to lean into it no matter where you're at in life.
0: That is a phenomenal story of how you have reached these heights in your life. And so what I want to dive into is the uh, more financial aspect, as I you know mentioned earlier in the intro. So what was it about the financial aspect that really got you thinking, this is something that I really need to be a part of, and this is something that I can impress upon people and give them information they never knew?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, when I was in college, I actually, I actually got investment license uh, when I was nineteen years old, and so I Wait, was like you did it at 19? I, I did. I got investment license and life insurance license at nineteen, and I in college, like I was helping families, um, and I was helping a lot of families of friends that I knew, um, their parents. And I was trying to talk to my friends about Roth IRAs and setting up investments and everybody, this is back before anybody was talking about investing, before TikTok, before Instagram was like super famous. And like, everybody was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm I'm young. I don't need to invest in all that. And I started realizing that our generation knows nothing about finance and it's a scary thing. But being somebody from my generation, people will, you know, listen to me and like, they'll hear what I'm saying. And so I just started studying. I actually did some pageants and like my platform was always financial literacy. So I would go into schools, elementary schools and teach um, courses on financial literacy. So we would talk about what a check is, how to write a check. I also learned that a lot of kids had never seen a check before. They didn't understand debit and credit cards. They didn't understand investing. And so it's literally just the basics. You know, we really assume, especially in the black community, um, we don't have that knowledge. You know, in a lot of other communities, they pass down advisors and advice, but in our communities we're, Sometimes the first to ever get money sometimes the first to ever be the one who has gotten to corporate America the one who's gone to college and so we have no advice and no advisors and so I saw it as a space where it's like well if I can help be that advice and advisors now I can equip the next generation so when you get married you have kids now you're passing down advice and advisors I can be an advisor to your children to your family and help you so now you're part of that generation to where it's like you guys have things in order and you can actually build generational wealth we always talk about it but we don't talk about the basic principles of knowledge that go into building that generational wealth that you have to implement.
0: Now, what really just got my brain going is the fact that you were 19 years old and you were talking about financial literacy. So how does it feel um, we ain't gonna dive into your age because that ain't nobody's business. But we just know that when you <laughs> a young whippersnapper, you were diving into yeah. the financial aspect, which I believe the earlier you get started on it, the more you are aware. So, when you're a college student and you're learning these things, how were you able to stay motivated about that? Because in that age range, now I remember when I was 18, 19. Um, the only things that I was focused on was possibly um, maybe the girl that I might have seen across the way in the student <laughs> union, or I was, you know, trying to figure out which class I wanted to take. I wasn't that focused on that particular area. Um, I probably didn't start diving into the financial uh, literacy area until I reached maybe 24, 25. So how did you stay motivated to be able to pursue that information at such a young age?
1: Well, I developed a love for it. Um, it's something about me. I've always been, like, very studious. I love to read. I love to study. Um, and so I would actually go to libraries growing up. I have my parents, like, would drop me off and, like, let me sit at the library for hours. And I would just read. I would, like, learn French. I would learn different things. And so, like, I have a desire to just, like, learn Information and when I started learning about finance, it's it, I don't. It wasn't necessarily a desire to have like money. Like we all want money, we like money, but it's not like I was like ooh money. Like I just love money. I think that I really got God ignited a passion in me to empower people because, and I say this like so often. Like God uses two things in the world. He uses people and he uses money to make impact. He's not physically here, so that's how he impacts the world. Well, if we can empower individuals who are good people to make and have money, those good people will then use that money to help other people. They'll cure cancer, they'll you know, eradicate pro- poverty, they'll help They'll help people, they'll do things. And so it's like, if I can take this knowledge and help somebody to use that knowledge to do better, then now I'm helping the world. Cause it's like, I always wanted to do something that was gonna impact a family. I didn't wanna do something that was gonna cost somebody else to go into debt, cause somebody else to, you know, just, do something silly. Like I was like, I want to make an impact. How can I do this? And then like, everybody uses money. And so if I can just impact there, then I can impact the world, just like 1% at a time, one community group at a time, one church at a time, um, one family at a time. And it just kind of grew from there. And so I've just became passionate about talking about it because at the end of the day, we're all connected by money, no matter where you're at in the world.
0: That is, that is phenomenal. Now, I know we are going to have a you know an infamous conversation about money today. But let's talk about uh those sports teams. Two of those sports teams which I I I'm I'm going to tell you now. Well maybe uh I think you mentioned the uh San Francisco 49ers, the uh at that time Oakland Raiders before they moved mm-hmm. to Las Vegas and then the Golden State Warriors. Obviously I told you about my love for the Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. But tell yeah. me um with being mm-hmm. a dancer for the NFL teams? Like, what was the difference between the NBA and the NFL? The closest I've ever got to the NFL was I had a cousin that went to the NFL back in 2008, and that's about as close as I got to the experience. But you being mm-hmm. there and around that atmosphere, how were you able to take mm-hmm. advantage of the opportunity and not squander it like so many others that get this opportunity and now they're like, ooh, I'm a part of this illustrious group and they end up missing out on their purpose. They get caught up in the rush of the moment and they don't end up pursuing what they need to pursue. Mm-hmm. How are you able to still get to the place that you are now and not let that opportunity take you in a whole another direction? Uh, I
1: really think that like God has always had a hand on just who I am and what I've done. Uh, when it comes to creative, like I believe that my gift and I actually was just sharing this with somebody recently, the gift that I believe God has given me, like I cannot sing. I'm a horrible singer, terrible. And so whenever we are at praise and worship at church, I'm like, I try to stay quiet because I'm like that person It's like, who is that? Um, but for me, it's movement. It's always been movement. It's always been dance. That's how I worship. And so when I thought of like dancing, like most people think, oh, you're just like dancing in the NFL or the NBA. Like, it's just a thing. It's a side thing. And I'm like, no, for me, it's just how I connect with people. It's how I share the gift that God, he wired me this way. Um, the beautiful thing about dancing in the NBA and the NFL is that I'm surrounded by women who come from different communities, different states, cities different schools, different ethnicities, just different age ranges that I would never know. We would not all be in the same room together had we not been connected by dance. It's like a unifying thing where I've always been in spaces with women that look different than me, that speak different, that have different values, ideas. And so it's given me an opportunity to, one, not only understand how to work with different people, but to be able to share ideas, to be able to communicate and just have those different spaces. And so whenever I was in those spaces, like I would listen, especially when I was 19, I was so naive to everything I didn't I hadn't worn makeup like I just didn't know any of these things and then the women that were on the team with me when I was 19 oh my god they were so especially the black women like they were so great they taught me how to do my hair my makeup they really helped me mature and grow up in that space and give me an opportunity to mature in a in a, a wholesome way in a way that was going to help me like solidify who I wanted to be as a woman and then in the next phase uh, with the 49ers I had had that foundation and then I really was able to to just develop myself as a person and it really actually prepared me um in that season to for my dad to pass away because i actually that was the last season that i cheered and my dad passed away the next year um and so it gave me the opportunity to um to really connect with him and i dedicated that season to him and then with the warriors i actually said that i would not dance anymore when my dad passed away it was too hard uh, my dad was a dancer and so i got that gift like we shared that gift together. And so like, when I tell you, he was my biggest fan, he was, he'd be in the stands, waving his arms, doing all this crazy stuff. And like, he was a huge fan of me. Um, He was there for both NFL teams. And so it was hard for me to think about going back with him, not being there. Um, But then I still had this desire to dance, this desire to connect, desire to be in that space. So then when I went out for Warriors, I was like, this is for me, this is for my healing. This is to continue to push into that dream that I've always had. And it was. a beautiful experience each one of those experiences shaped me in a different way and they came into my life at a very specific season and i think that is what kept me in alignment um the difference is i would say nfl is mostly outside we're in the elements we're brave in the elements uh it's fun <laughs> there's a lot more girls on the team also so you get even more exposure um and we are on the sidelines just very much a part of the game and the days are really really long um, but it's, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's a great experience. And I feel like it, it connects you to a different set of fans as opposed to the NBA, which is more indoors. Um, we do, uh, dances, but we aren't necessarily on the sidelines like in the NFL. And then there's a lot more games. so There's a lot more opportunity to perform and you're in a, a smaller scale space. So we can do more intricate dances. Whereas in the NFL, it, it is more, it's cheer and dance, but it is a little bit more pageantry, which I love both sides of it, but I feel like I was able to get like both sides of everything. Um, probably my best experience was dancing in the finals and Beyonce and Jay-Z were like right there. And I was like, I can say that I danced in front of Jay-Z and Beyonce, and it was amazing. And I was in, I was danced in the NBA finals, amazing experience. Um, yeah, like I, I'm so grateful that I was able to be on all sides of that, especially for the, most of the teams that are no longer in their original arenas or spaces.
0: Now, you said finals now, they had that big string of finals run. Which NBA finals was it? I uh, hopefully it wasn't um, 2016. I'll tell you offline why I don't like the 2016 finals. But which uh finals did you get a chance to get with Jay Z? It was a, it was the a finals very...
1: where we lost in, in game seven and Clay got injured and everything just went. It was heartbreaking. It was probably the most it was an amazing experience and also heartbreaking at the same time. And I feel like, you know, I've forever connected to the team. Cause even after that, it's like, man, like I really love the warriors. I feel like they represent like what I represent. I think that's why I love that team so much because they, they were an underdog and they came back and won and everybody was like, Oh, they won all these times. Now they've, injuries and trades and all this stuff, they'll never come back. And they really came back and just the way that they represent in the league is just like an upstanding team and their values and all that. I just really like am very much in alignment with that. In addition to my team and with my coach and my teammates, it was just a really great experience that just helped me grow as an individual and just push for more because the Warriors didn't give up. Like they pushed for more and look, they just came back and won another championship. So it's like really inspiring.
0: Wow. So uh we went to the sports for a little bit uh i'm gonna just embody that moment because i just like i said i watched them um from the very very beginning of you know the run they had it you know 2014 2015 2015 16 um both of those years were very very you know <laughs> very very memorable um and then after the fact you know different things that i went through i watched basketball and first thing i'd go look is You know, I check out Golden State Wars, ESPN, different things like that. So thank you for letting us in on uh, the experience. Now, diving back into the financial aspect, what is one thing that financially anyone that is not aware that they should know? Because I know one of the things that you um, talked about with um, what happened with your family the aspect of losing a parent and your mother being able and i I think i remember it was an advertisement you did where you said because of what was set in place your mother was able to grieve as long as she needed to because financially she didn't have that burden Mm -hmm. so tell me about that experience about Watching everything unfold and obviously losing your father, that's thats a very tough thing. Now, how were you able to transition much more easier because the financial aspect was in place?
1: Um, the transition was a lot easier for everybody just because, for one, the the biggest thing I'll say is life insurance. Nobody likes to talk about life insurance. I noticed that, especially in the Black community. It's very taboo, and it's, everybody thinks it's boring. They're like, oh, you're a life insurance agent. You're talking about life insurance. Nobody wants to have this conversation. But I can tell you how many people that didn't want to have the conversation who want to have it when somebody's sick, when they're on their deathbed, or when they pass away. It's too late. And so when I experienced what I experienced with my dad, I was in such shock. It made me realize, oh, shoot, people die. And I know that sounds really silly, but I had I had lost people around me. I had never lost anybody directly to me that affected the way I existed in the way that when my dad passed away, it affected everything. And it just opened my eyes to the fact that life is not promised. You have to get life insurance. It's an instant estate. That's what it is. If you do not have a couple hundred thousand dollars saved in the bank in case your spouse passes away then you need an instant estate, which essentially means if they pass away, you've got money to pull from to give you time to grieve. I can promise you, most people are like, oh, I don't need that. Oh, like I have some people that'll say, oh, just bury me in the backyard. First off, it's illegal. You cannot do that. It literally costs money to die. You cannot die for free. Even if you say, just cremate me, it costs seven to $10,000. And so at this point, it's like, okay, you need at least $20,000 for burial. Then you want to think about paying off debt, paying off the mortgage, all this. You don't want to be worrying about this while you're grieving your loved one. And so what I saw was, We could not bring my dad back. We all had to deal with grieving him. But what we could do is write a check to be able to pay the mortgage, the lights, the food, the funeral service, the, you know, all of that so that my mom and my family could grieve and go back to life when we were ready. And that is huge. It literally buys you time to process. I know of someone who lost their spouse and was back to work within three days after burying them. And I'm just like, even if it's not three days, they don't give you that much bereavement. And I bet you their job is not going to pay you their salary now that they're gone. And so it's like, you need to make sure you have insurance for uh, burial costs and to replace that income, especially if you have small children. They say um, almost 90% of women and individuals who lose their spouse and don't have anything in place, are pretty much financially destitute within two years of that person passing away. You can have a GoFundMe for somebody to raise money for funeral expenses, but who's going to take care of the bills when there's bills to be taken care of? And why would, and if there is somebody, why would you want to put that burden on them when you can just get life insurance? So that's the one thing that was in place. The other things that were in place were, one, making sure that, you know, all of your personal information, your logins, your passwords, your accounts, your, all of that is in place and your health directive is in place. Because when my dad was passing away, you know there were certain things that came up that had to be addressed that he had already decided what his wishes were. And if somebody, which some, there were some conversations, people kind of come in saying, oh, he wanted this, he wanted that. No, this is what he wanted. And we're honoring his wishes. When he passed away, we had his will. This is what he gave me this here. Nope. This is what his will says. So having a will in place, having all of this stuff in place and writing legally to make sure that, especially if you're dealing with blended families, if you're dealing with people who may have been divorced, all those things. I also noticed that a lot of people do not update their beneficiaries when they get divorced or when, you know, things happen. It's like just having all that stuff up to date is like huge and super important. In addition to having, you know, investments in retirement and retirement things in place for the future. Like all of that is like super important what I kind of watched unfold before me. And it actually bought my mom about seven years Um, To where now she's in a place to where she's re-engaging back in life. But she took her time. For somebody else, it might be six months. For somebody else, it might be 15 years. Or I actually have another friend who her mom is just going to live off the retirement from her father and just take care of her mental health. It's what you want to do, but money buys you options. A lack of money forces you back into life, not ready, and it affects your mental health.
0: I'm going to have to take that quote that you just said. Say that one more time for the people in the back and the church mothers that were born in ancient times. Please say that again. Which one? It.
1: The money Money buys you options?
0: Listen, I need you to say that loud and clear. Yeah. Money uh, buys that you options.
1: Literally, money buys you options. Like Everybody says money isn't everything, but everything costs money. So it actually is. <laughs>
0: listen but the way you just broke that down um i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to put that quote out that that was that was amazing and and the reason why is because um finance the financial aspect causes a lot more issues especially when it is not addressed now you said that um the burial cost Let's talk a little bit more about like when a person passes away, what you will be essentially dealing with with the, you know, the burial cost, the funeral, different things like that. You know, people have said different numbers. Mm-hmm. I would not know anything about that um because I haven't, you know, fortunately, I haven't had to go through that, but I know that one day I'm gonna have to face mm-hmm. that. So what is a person dealing with with? someone that passes away what are they dealing with because are we dealing with something that you know you can pay you got to pay out right uh payment plan um we we're gonna give you some time to grieve we'll take a you know uh a, a, a check what goes in through that process when someone passes away and now you have the burden of dealing with the burial
1: mm-hmm. um i what i will say is is i think most people. <laughs> Most people don't realize how much it costs to die. Literally like, and you, you, the, the, the burial industry is an industry. It is an industry just like the medical industry. And it is very expensive. Um, you have to pay for storage for the body in the, in the space. You have to pay to get it out. Um, I've actually dealt with some clients who actually came to me as a client because they weren't able to collect the proceeds of their insurance from a previous company due to some exclusions and things. And a body sat in a morgue for years over two years because they won't release it to you until you pay. So that's a cost. If you want to have um, cremation, it's sometimes between five to seven to ten thousand dollars, depending on what you want to have done. Then you you can't just take the take the, you know, the cremation materials and just take them home in a plastic baggie. You know, you have to pay for the urn and that costs money. It's like everything costs money. And you think about it this way. People are saying, oh, we'll just do whatever. And it's like, when you're dealing with the loss of somebody you genuinely care about, you're not just going to say, oh, just throw them in a plastic bag. You know what I mean? Like you want to do them justice in a decent way. And in a decent way, it costs money. Just a regular average basic funeral is going to cost between. $15,000 to $20,000, just basic at, you know, at a church or at a, you know, just anywhere you want to go, like just doing the bare minimum basics, allowing people to come, you know, to dealing with, you know, funeral programs and music and paying a pastor. like, you forget all these things that go into it. Um, in addition to getting the body ready and, you know, having somebody dress the body, it's just, it's so much that goes into it that you just don't see. And so if you want to just give basic numbers to it, a basic cremation between seven to $10,000 and a basic funeral between 15 to $20,000. And there's different types of insurance. There's like burial insurance that you can kind of pay into, but they essentially are kind of waiting for a check like upfront. And that is why a lot of people do GoFundMes because they're like, hey, we're not doing this funeral until you guys pay the check. I I sat there when I was in high school. I remember um, a young man, he... Ended up getting killed, and they were having his funeral. And they actually body sat in the morgue until the family could raise enough money to to get the body out to have the funeral. They will keep the body, and it's like, can you imagine? Like the toil. It's just, it's just a horrible thing that nobody wants to face. So it's like, why set yourself up for that? Unless your family has fifteen to twenty thousand dollars laying around, which even if they do, they shouldn't have to just throw it out there, you know, for just in case. It should be there doing something for their future. Why not pay? $25, $50, $75 $25, $50, $75 a month to make sure you have a policy that's going to pay your family for the rest of their life. Wealthy people use life insurance to give to the next generation, to settle their debts, because they do have investments and money and all those things. But they use the life insurance to settle their debts, their estate, all of that, and then give the rest of the money as an estate because life insurance proceeds are tax free. They don't, they are not taxable to your family um So it's a great way to pass down generational wealth, and it's it's a hidden kept secret because most, especially most Black families, will get fifty thousand in coverage, hundred thousand in coverage. But what if you had a million dollars on your life? You pass away, and you wait and left a million dollars to your next generation. How would that change their life? They can go to school debt free. They can buy a house, build a business. They you give them a leg up. That is what the wealthy people have been doing forever, and that is why we need to start thinking about life insurance as a generational blessing as opposed to just some thing that you have just so you can like pay off the funeral director
0: that wow so burying somebody it seems like it costs more to bury somebody than when you go to the hospital and birth somebody birth somebody maybe you know from um you Know talking to different nurses and talking to different doctors, maybe 15 to 18,000. But you're talking about to put somebody in the ground, you're talking about 15 to 20,000 for the mm-hmm. funeral and putting them in the ground and just making that moment capturing that moment. 15 to 20,000. That is, yeah, you're educating me. I would not have known that. Um, yeah, I got some, I got some talking to do.
1: A, a, a few folks <laughs> yeah yeah no seriously and it's, and it's and it's like i said it's one of those things you don't think about till you think about it i've seen it so much i've seen it so much like the first death claim that i ever saw paid was in my own family you know and so i'm just like it's crazy to see it from the inside and so i feel for families So when i talk to families about this it's like i'm talking this from seeing what my family went through and seeing how we were able to go through it peacefully I couldn't imagine going through and begging and borrowing and having to ask for money to say, oh my God, you know what I mean? And all that stuff and then dealing with the mess of fighting over people's things and all that. When it's like when you can just go in and say, everything's set up, ready to go, family just show up. We can all grieve. We actually were able to use some of the proceeds to fly family members in to, you know, deal with things because you know, things when people pass away, sometimes it's very it's it's out the blue. Some people can't always afford it, but what if you can make sure that The financial burden is on nobody and we can just enjoy being with each other we don't have to fight we don't have to stress we just want to honor the life of that person and it's given me so much peace to know that we were able to honor my dad in the way that we honored him period without a worry and he cared about us enough my parents cared about their future enough to say we're going to put these things in place to make sure when it does happen, because you will die one day, it's guaranteed. <laughs> Everybody forgets, it's like, you will die. We just don't know when. So just make sure we're prepared, just in okay, case. right wow. now. Like now,
0: um, diving into when you found out about your father, and his condition, how did you feel in that moment? Um, and I told you offline, um, you know, I got a phone call in the end of January. And it was probably one of the most life-changing calls that I ever got. And I had to think about all of those things that you just mentioned that you went through. So when you got that information, I don't know if it was a phone call or it was you came home one day and your father told you, this is what life is getting ready to uh, entail. How did you feel when you got that information? Well, let's first, how how did you find out was it a phone call was mm-hmm. it you sat down my
1: yeah my dad had been um he had been sick and different things had been happening for some weeks and he'd been going getting tests and different things and we didn't know what was going on but like we had never really had anybody who had serious medical conditions in our families were always very healthy very active and so to me i'm like oh yeah something's wrong but they'll figure it out like it, we're always good um So my parents had been going to the doctors and doctors and we hadn't really been given too much information about what was going on. And I remember coming home one night, my parents sat us all down. My older sister was in Florida at the time. And so they, she had her on the phone and they just let us know, like dad's been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I just remember thinking like, what? Like cancer, like that can't happen to us. You know what I mean? When you think you see, oh, you see other people. And like, if I'm being honest, I saw other people, you know, do breast cancer walks and different things, and you feel horrible for them, but you're like, that'll never happen to my family. It's just a thought because they were like, why do you think it? Why would it? We're doing everything right. But what I learned in that space was like, anything could happen to anybody. Anything could happen to anybody. Nobody. And why would it happen to somebody, but wouldn't happen to me? And so it was an eye opening thing that I think the last like seven years of my life feel entitled to not experience life what i can do is prepare for the unexpected just in case it happens and if it doesn't count my blessing
0: wow that that in and of itself um you know i can i can attest to you know what you went through um thankful that with everything that has occurred um i don't have that same story but I know one day I may have to walk through that. So for someone that is on the fence about getting life insurance what would be the key thing that you would tell them that would really open up their consideration of making that decision right
1: now? Um I would say if you were to pass away um Who would you leave destitute by your life being gone? Because it's one thing for somebody to grieve your loss emotionally. It's another thing for young children, a wife, a husband, a spouse, a partner, um, parents, um, anybody to now grieve you financially and put them in a financial space that will take them back generations because you did not prepare in advance there's people that I know that will, you know, say, okay, if something, okay, we all have grown up and it's like, oh, I have a God mom, a God dad, whatever. So if something happened to the parent, the kids will go to, the, go to these people, right? Well, how selfish is that to say, if something happens to me, come take care of my kids and I'm leaving you nothing. Or if something happens to me, I love you so much, but I want you to be in debt for the rest of your life. Like, Life insurance is a last love letter to tell the loved ones that are going to live on after you how much you cared about them because you wanted to make sure that they could grieve you in peace and leave them in a financially better place as opposed to financially worse space because your life is no longer here. And if you're saying that you love these people, you need to get life insurance. Otherwise, you're basically telling them, figure it out. I don't care about you. I want you to struggle. Because realistically, it puts a lot of families, specifically black and brown families, in a bad situation because we're never prepared. If somebody's already struggling to get through the month, do you think that they're going to be able to come up with even $5,000 to bury somebody? No. And even if they did, that means you had to squeeze money out of everybody. And so it just puts everybody in a space where we can't even grieve somebody with love or we're feeling some type of way because it's like, dang, now I have to not feed my family next week because I got to give money to your donation. It's like people have a good heart, but it's like what more good could we do if we just set things up in advance? And like, even the Bible talks about proper preparation, like if, and especially if you're a believer, like if you really are a believer, then you will prepare and plan and make sure things are in place. Like it's the responsible thing to do.
0: This is such compelling information. Um, my brain is stretched beyond capacity um because you don't realize you know many of the things while you're alive uh they carry on even after you say you know life is done now with what it is that you are educating individuals about what is the most enjoyable part about educating people about financial literacy like the thing that when you think about it it puts a big smile on your face
1: i think it's the i think it's the sigh of relief when i talk to somebody and tell them how easy it is and it's like even though they came to me it's like people come to me and have all this baggage and be like this life is over i can't get through it, whatever and we just sort through it i organize it put it all together and i'm like look let's just start the plan today and this is where you'll be in six months in a year whatever and then they take a huge deep breath and it's like wow I didn't think it was going to be that easy, but it's like, my thing is a lot of times we avoid doing financial things because most of us are not raised to be financial planners. You're raised to be an IT person or a teacher or a plumber or whatever you do for a living, a mom, you're raised to be that. I am trained to be the financial planner. So you give me the burdens. I sort them out and give you back a plan. Now we work towards together in conjunction and I help you hit that plan. You don't have to sit here and make anything up. I make all the plans. All you have to do is implement. So it takes the stress off of people who are already stressed, raising kids and taking care of partners and a home and life and everything. Now they just have to know, oh, follow this plan. I'll get to where I want to go. It takes a huge stress off of everybody. And I think that's the best thing I see, especially in Black and brown families who are consistently used to struggling, who are consistently used to being in a state of, My grandma didn't have nothing. My mom didn't have nothing. I still ain't got nothing, but I'm trying to get something. And just life just doesn't seem to be catching up. And it's like, we can get there. We can start with $25 and grow it. This might seem like a little, but look what that can do in a short period of time. You know, and just like showing them that there's hope.
0: Now, with the financial planning aspect, uh, one of the things that people do not understand, which I, to a degree, understood because I was in the financial industry. I was in banking for about two or three years. So I understand. Let's dive a little bit more into some of the more affordable investments that, over the years, really build up. That someone like, let's say, someone that is 22 years old can start right now mm-hmm. to prepare them. Now, as we have you know mentioned, death is definitely something inevitable there's also the aspect of living your life and knowing that when you get to a certain point you got something put to the side just in case other parts of life happen like okay for example um with uh my parents there was a point in time where uh, my dad had lost job it was in 99 i was 16 years old and my mom was able to step up financially because she had some things in place and were able to sustain them mm-hmm. for that time frame that they went through so let's talk about mm-hmm. the benefits of starting something affordable at age 22 and then from age 22 to 52, you got all this set to the side.
1: Oh, this makes (laughs) me so excited. I literally talk to people like the younger you can be, the younger you can be, the more money you will have. Time is on your side, period. The older you start, the more you'll have to put in. It's not over, but it's just like, start today. So just don't wait. So that's the number one thing. Literally, if you started saving $25 a month at age 18 by 65, you'll have well over a million dollars because of compounding interest. 25, I said, I said what I said, $25 a month, just $25, just setting aside consistently because it's dollar cost averaging every single month from age 18 to 65 is well over a million dollars, well over, and it'll continue to compound. And that's because time is on your side. I recommend mutual funds a lot of people right now are investing in all types of stuff you know individual stocks they're investing in crypto and all that which i think is great it's a great thing to have in your portfolio especially if you know what you're doing or have somebody that knows what they're doing it's a great way to do that but i say if you're brand new beginning trying to build up something mutual funds is the way to go why because it's easy to get into very inexpensive 25 dollars is the minimum they are diversified which means you're not invested in just one thing because if you put all your money in apple stock and apple for some reason just goes away All your money goes. But if you're in a mutual fund that's invested in a bunch of different companies, they're not all going to go out of business at the same time. Especially for the fact that they are professionally managed. Mutual funds are managed by fund managers. Their only job is to sit there and watch the companies in the fund and see what they're doing. And if they're not doing well, they swap it out for something else. So it really gives you a leg up. So now not only do you have me watching your money, you have money managers watching your money, and you're only paying twenty five dollars a month. Um, It is one of the best kept secrets. I highly recommend mutual funds for everybody to start that basis. Um, In any account, like I said, you can obviously diversify and do other accounts from there, but definitely starting there um, with mutual funds and then growing. You will not get rich immediately off of $25, but over time, like I said, start somewhere and then reevaluate every couple of months and say, hey, I can add another $5, $10, whatever. By the time you get to a couple hundred dollars a month, now your money is really compounding. So when something does happen, when a car breaks down, when you know you need to put a down payment on a house, when you want to take a trip, you've got money to set aside. The number one stress people have about spending money is the fact that they weren't prepared to spend it. But if you set aside money specifically for that spend, when you go to spend it, the anxiety is gone because it had an intentional purpose. We got to start changing our mindset when it comes to money. I manage more people's emotions when it comes to money than I do manage the money. And it helps you look at it in a different way.
0: Now, you said a word that I recently found out is a home run word. You said it. I'm going to tell you exactly what word it is. You said compound interest. I did not realize that compound interest is like... I'm going to give you a quote. Compound interest is like being a number one draft pick in any sport. Your your value of it is only going to increase. Now, let's talk about compound interest and how. Most people, you know, they they want you know, they they start talking about investments. They're looking for um, what they can get today. Let's dive into the compound interest. I'm, I'm, now, my ears are going to be open because when you start talking about compound interest, like I put something in compound interest the other day when I was talking to my mother and her eyes got big like, oh, this mm-hmm. what that do?
1: Yeah, no. Compound interest essentially is like, like I said, if you start today, like and you just add the years based off of cost of living and everything, like the market adjusts itself. It's always cyclical. So right now, like a lot of people freak out when the market goes down. We don't, People in banking, people in money, they don't freak out because they know the market's always going to correct. And when it corrects, you make more money. Why? Because imagine this. Like, what's your favorite store? What's your favorite place to shop?
0: Uh, you know what? I'm stuck between Target and probably Marshalls or something like that. Now, Marshalls is a... It's yeah, a good we'll do Target good. because
1: I love me some Target. Oh,
0: okay, Target. we 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 on the same page. So okay, yeah, Target. Target
1: Target is it. So let's say we go to Target mm-hmm. and I don't know, you're you're going to buy some some exercise clothes and they're full price. Uh, you, you might you might buy them, but like the chances of you like buying like the whole set together is probably low if it's like full price. You know, Target's ex- exercise clothes be real expensive. Yes, they do. <laughs> they do, but they're good. But let's but then let's say you come back and you go to the the sale rack and you see the whole set is on sale for like half price, twenty percent off, whatever. Will you not buy more pieces? Yeah. So I think about that the same as like when you're investing and dealing with like compound interest and everything. It's like. When the market goes down, you buy more because things are on sale. And then when the market goes back up, your value goes up. So you make more money. And so a lot of people actually get nervous. They feel like they lose money when the market changes, but you don't actually actualize a loss until you pull it out of the market. So as long as you keep that money in there and the market is going, which it will always go, the interest rates are rising. And over time, you're making money off your money because the interest rates are going to consistently go forever. So as long as you leave your
0: money in the account, it's gonna grow. That that was a, a beautiful illustration um, of compound interest, which is something I have found to love um over the last, you know, so many months. Now, <laughs> with you being in the financial industry, what are some of the things that you would say to someone that is considering a career in? Um, financial literacy or financial preparation, what is a few of the you know, uh, words of advice that you would give to them? Because there are individuals that they get into this industry, and what catches them off guard is the actual information that you need to know, and also the integrity. Like, one thing I can just tell from this conversation is not only do you have an enthusiasm but there's an integrity behind what it is that you're giving you you're you're not one of those financial uh individuals that are going to say hey I'm going to give to you this concept so that I can benefit on the front end you're literally setting people up so what is some information or advice that you can give to someone that is considering a life of being a financial industry professional
1: first things first i would say to do research on the company find out what their core values are because i personally was not willing to work with in alignment with a company that did not do the right thing the reason why i Mm -hmm. even i'm so i'm an independent contractor own my own business i have the company essentially as an umbrella that i'm able to use the products and services but i run my business the way I'm about to run it. Obviously it's in compliance with like FINRA and like the state and all of that, but I essentially get to format my business, which I love that. Um, But I love this company one, because I saw what it did for my family, that this is the company that actually helped my parents do what they needed to do. And so I saw firsthand that what they do is right. They actually deliver on what they say they're going to do. And the people that help, you know, you get the benefit of helping somebody, but you get paid really well. Um, I also Feel like you should look into see like whether the companies require you to have any schooling whether they require you to be full-time or can you start off part-time i know for me what worked really well and the reason why i was able to start at 19 is because i was in school i did this as a side gig i literally did investments in life insurance on the side of college and i know it sounds very strange but i was able to start part-time And then decide when I wanted to go full-time, if I wanted to go full-time, can work it the way I wanted forever. But just thinking about the people I've been able to help in a part-time space for so many years before deciding to make a a choice to say, hey, I want to do this full-time. And so what are the options with the company? Like, what do they require? And who are you going to be working with? I do also get to choose who I work with and how we work together. Um, And I also have the opportunity, if I do want, to, you know, create a team, I can decide what that looks like. So some companies have a lot more control over exactly what you can do, how you can do it, what it looks like, what they sell. Some are a little bit more lenient. And then also like, what is, how are you even presenting this to clients and customers? For me, it's like, okay, you're going to come to me and get a basic financial education then we're going to implement some stuff. So now as we're working through things, you're like, oh, that's right. We talked about this. This is why we're doing this. We're working together in conjunction for your life. Whereas a lot of other companies will have you come sit down and be like, okay, how much money do you have? Cool. This is what you're going to get. And then just send you on your way. I'm not a salesperson. I didn't want to be a salesperson. I didn't want to feel, I didn't like that feel. I didn't want to be a life insurance salesman. I feel like I'm an educator who then shows people how to implement that education through products and services that I'm licensed to market. And um, so I would just ask yourself those types of questions. And then do they provide licensing? Because a lot of these companies make you pay for your own licensing. It's very expensive and they don't provide good licensing um, programs or it's super expensive. Uh, My company paid for all my licensing, training, education, and I have zero overhead, literally. Um, so I can work remotely. I can co-work and everything. A lot. Some companies also do require you to have a physical office and pay for that. So those are some of the things I would think about before getting into locking yourself down with a company.
0: Wow. So we are coming up closer towards the end than we are from the beginning. And this has been great information. Now, um, I'm to give you, you know, two more questions and then we're going to let you go because, um, y'all I'm seeing her dedication probably as soon as she finishes this podcast she's gonna go right back in front of that computer and she's gonna make money now <laughs> financially for and this is going to be a question for the uh younger generation i'm going to say 18 to 25 what are some of the pitfalls that the generation 18 to 25 has to worry about as far as that financial literacy aspect because when you're 18, 19, 20, you are mesmerized by your accessibility to get those things that you feel like you should have. So what is your advice to get that 18 to 25 year old to really understand how to manage their money at this portion of their
1: lifetime? Honestly, because our educational system has not set us up for success, I would say look, you need to actually probably work for a company and get the education. Like I got this education at 19, it was like eye-opening. And so as I was doing it, it taught me myself. So I'll say, if you're interested in finance, definitely plug in with a company. You can learn a lot, Um, make some good money on the side too. But outside of that, I would say one, being very careful about student loans because that's the one thing that I have noticed. Like we could fix pretty much anything. That's one of the only things that's like unfixable that we kind of just leave in the background for everybody and just, you know, it's there for all of my clients, because it's just you cannot declare bankruptcy on these loans. Like, it's crazy. Um, and so being careful about student loans, There are so many opportunities for scholarships and programs to get money for school and just to not have to take out loans, where I would say, go that way first, utilize all your resources to not get student loans. The second thing I would be is not valuing your credit and building it up. Credit is just like grades. When you're in school, you're doing well, you have A's. It takes you a long time to go from an from a B plus to an A minus. But it's a lot easier to go from a an A minus to a C, but with one test. And so it's like if you have the opportunity to get a credit card, you know, start off with something small and and make sure you're using it for basic things like gas and food that you already have the money for, set the money aside, pay it off every month, and then don't mess that up. And you really could start building credit to the point to where once you're old enough, you can get your own apartment, your own home, those things, and you don't have to worry about credit issues. So starting to build your credit young, and then you need to start investing immediately. As soon as you have earned income, you need to start a Roth IRA, you need to start an emergency fund, and a short-term account to make sure that no matter what happens in your life, whether there's an emergency or not, or you want to go on a trip or you just you're planning for retirement because another thing I talk to people about is building your own benefits the average millennial actually the average person now is going to go through 7 to 10 jobs they actually say that's how it used to be they actually say 12 to 15 jobs in your lifetime because of the remote work because of the pandemic because of the rise in entrepreneurship so many more people are going to have so many more jobs and so many companies are now hiring contractors so they're no longer offering benefits cuz you're a contractor so our parents used to get jobs and have a company that paid your benefits and it also took care of all of everything and you stayed there for your life. Now we don't have that. So who's going to take care of that? You have to build your own benefits. So you need to start investing at a young age. At 18, once as soon as you get earned income, start that Roth IRA. You're an entrepreneur, get a solo 401k, get a SEP IRA, get things set up for your business and start investing in monthly because you can borrow money for anything. You can go to your neighbor and ask for milk. You cannot borrow money to retire. So do you want to die working or do you want to have the option to finance the life you want? So start investing now.
0: All right. This is going to be my last question. And then we're going to let you get back to the wonderful work that you were doing (laughs) before uh, this started. My last question is this for, and this one is going to be for the gentleman out here, because I know the gentleman out here um in this generation do not have an understanding of financially how to really steward before you even consider starting a family what is it that you would say to the the men out here who don't take this seriously and desire one day to have a family what would you say to them to get them more really cognitive of how important it is that before you even start thinking about a family you start thinking about your financial aspect
1: i would say to think about it this way like think of the, the, your dream woman the type of woman that you want like your access to that woman is going to come with your ability to provide because in mm-hmm. that woman is looking for that and so it's like prepare for what you want. Just like I would tell a woman, like the type of man that you want, prepare for that man as well. And so I would say, start thinking about it that way. I see a lot of men who waste so much money trying to, and I literally was talking to a friend, these young girls like have these guys spending like hundreds of dollars on dates at like 15, 16. I'm like, look, if y'all don't go to Wendy's, like, seriously, no, seriously, like you should not be dating if, if you don't have any money, but even if you are dating, I would say to really focus more on like doing things frugally and maybe even getting a mentor as somebody, a man who is a lot older, who can give you some wisdom and like really talk because I feel like also coming from a woman, it's, you know, you're probably not going to listen to me. Get a mentor, but definitely. They'll they'll, they'll listen to you with this information you just dropped. But literally like if you spend the time building your finances, getting where you want to be, you can have any woman you want because women are looking for stability. All you have to then do is show your character later on because you've got the finances in order. You don't want to be on the back end of that because you'll always lose. But if you just focus on like, if you do want to get to know people, do what you're doing and everything, like doing it in a more of a frugal way, like focusing more on interpersonal relationships and connections and things that don't cost a lot of money that go on Pinterest, like just find ways to just be more frugal about the way you're doing life. When you think about it, nobody really cares what kind of car you're driving, what kind of bag you have, what kind of things you're doing, especially at 18. They care a lot more when you're like in your 20s and 30s. So why don't you, you know, be frugal right now and and grind right now. And later on, you can have the suits and the cars and the things, and you know that you built it and did it. And then you can then qualify yourself to be with the type of woman that you're looking to be. And it's like, you'll be so much happier as opposed to wasting your money on stuff that won't get you anywhere. Like I do see like the biggest, the biggest stress that comes with men, even like thinking about my dad, my dad was only stressed when he felt like he couldn't provide when something was financially going on. And I feel like, a man's confidence and his pride is tied to his ability to, pro- to provide. The more you're able to provide, the more confidence you put out to the world, and the better you show up, the more you're able to lean into your gifts, and the more that God can really use you and work with you to connect you to the people you're supposed to be connected with. And so I would say lean into that, and everything else will follow.
0: That is wonderful. Well, we have reached the end of this wonderful podcast. I'm going to have a wonderful time going back and listening to this now. Where can everyone find you uh, via social media, website, so that they can get a chance to experience just a little bit of what I got a chance to experience today?
1: Yeah, check me out on Instagram. That's the easiest way to find me, at MZJET. Um, the link in my bio has all of my information. You can schedule a free financial consultation. Literally, it's just a free chat. We get to know each other and see if we're a good fit to work together. Um, I can help you implement those things if you live in the state of California, Texas, Arkansas, Georgia, and Louisiana. Um, If you do not live in one of those states, I am available to do free financial workshops for churches, schools, groups, small groups, big groups, families. Look, if your family's coming into town for Thanksgiving, you want to give them a little financial workshop, like, let me know. We can do it via Zoom. We can do it in person. My goal is to educate and then implement. So I am available for those things. And then, like I said, once we have a consultation, we can decide if we're a good fit. And then we can move forward to implement services if you would like. Um, And you can also check out my website and my uh, link tree, my link in bio. It's at MZJET on Instagram. Um, And thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on here. I can talk about this all day (laughs) long. Literally, I can keep going and going and going. So um, I appreciate the opportunity to share on this platform. um, And I'm excited to see the rest of the season.
0: Well, thank you very, very much. I'm going to make sure I overemphasize the name. So Bridgette. Finister. Did I say it right this time? Okay.
1: Yes. All right. You got it. Um, Perfect. Thank
0: you for your time. <laughs> thank you for uh, introducing many of the listeners to a side of financial literacy that they probably weren't aware of. Uh, everybody, this was a phenomenal opportunity. Um, I thank her for entrusting me with um, about an hour of her time to give information. and. Um, I look forward to those that are listening. I look forward to you really grasping the information. And if you liked what she said, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is somebody that is not trying to take advantage of your money, but this is someone that is getting you prepared for the future that is inevitable. It is unpredictable but it's necessary. Again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, listening into the Soul Purpose Podcast with yours truly, Coach Brian, and we will see you at the next episode. Take care.